Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... Three wins on the bounce. Stranger things have happened, but not for a long time. Captain Kieran smashes in his second free kick in as many games. And a hundred days of how we look back at Eddie's St James's revival. Yes, hello, I'm Taylor Payne, this is Pod on the Tyne, and as always, I'm joined by our Newcastle United correspondent, Mr Chris Woff, and senior writer George Colgan. Three wins in three games, lads. What the bloody hell is going on? How are we feeling, Chris? I am still in shock, to be perfectly honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely (laughs) wonderful. It was a... uh, it was the least pretty of victories you could possibly see, but that is all that was required was the yeah. three points. And so to, if you'd have said to me before the Leeds game that we'd get to this point, that have made the signs that have made and that have won the next three games, I would have just laughed in your face. So yes, absolutely wonderful. And George, how the devil are you, dear boy? You didn't enjoy that game on uh, on Sunday, did you? Well, I enjoyed the end of it and I enjoyed, I enjoyed the... <laughs> you enjoyed when it finished. Can you imagine how fussy I've become to be to be choosy about victories? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's like Honestly. you would take any victory a few weeks ago and Honestly. just enjoy it for the sake of it. And um, now I'm picking and choosing. No, I didn't enjoy it. It was like a, such a bitty stop stop start game. But I enjoyed. I enjoyed. I was also sitting right on a corridor, so I had people walking past me all the time, which irritated me. But mm. um, no, three fabulous points. Look, just sink it in. I feel unprecedented. He was sitting there as well with his heated jacket, Taylor. He has a heated jacket. Ah, uh, I didn't turn it on, Chris. Oh, George, were you wearing your slippers as well? I was George? wearing heated socks as well, which um, I also didn't turn those on. They've got quite big batteries, which is, um, but and you sort of have to fiddle on with your feet to plug them in. So. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry, but I love the idea of you waiting just before you go to the game in the house going, hang on, love, I'm just going to change the batteries in my socks. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Well, listen, you'll get old too one day, and I'll, all I'm saying oh, is I'll amazing. be laughing when you do because, you know, it's no, it's no laughing matter. Not long now, George. The warm weather's coming and your back will be better. Lovely. Be <laughs> Taylor, I would ask how you were, but now I just really don't care. So... Um... <laughs> 
Oh, mate, I'm fine. I'm all right now after listening Good. to that. That's amazing. We'll get on to the game in a minute, uh, like I said. But we uh, we have had breaking news uh, on this Monday, and quite literally, unfortunately, as well. Chris, can you can you fill us in with what's happened today? So, obviously, Kieran Trippier, having scored the winner yesterday, then went off injured, and he went for a scan at the RVI last night for an X-ray, got the results through this morning, and unfortunately, he's fractured... The, a bone in his foot, the fifth mesotarsal bone is in his left foot, which means he's got a period of, Newcastle describe it as set to be sidelined for the club's upcoming fixtures. And then I, don't, I think it's because they don't know exactly, it, it's one of those injuries which it very much depends on the individual as to how long it's going to heal. And, and so the, our understanding is that Trippier is probably going to have surgery this week to try and come back from it but it, it's it's highly unlikely that Trippier is going to be back certainly before the March at national break so that's at least five fixtures and that's if none of the two games neither of the two games against Everton and Southampton are rearranged for in then so it usually it seems that this is a recovery period of around eight weeks to ten weeks so that's a that's a huge blow for Newcastle United given given Trippier's significance so yeah the the, the Kieran Trippier is not going to be uh, starting for Newcastle United over the course of the next few weeks. Absolutely, and I mean the, the the impact he's had since he's came in has been massive. And George, the the worry really could be that his season could be over if there's any complications with this injury, isn't it? Yeah, he's been he's been phenomenal, Taylor, as as you say. I mean, I actually thought he played within himself um, the other day compared to the Everton match. So you know, we obviously he came off that um, uh, against Everton with with a calf problem, and I felt he was sort of played in a, in a sort of slightly different way. But he scored that amazing free kick and. Um, yeah, was captain, and he is. He has played the role of the captain since he's since he's been here. I've had a broken metatarsal, and it did keep me out for about two months. It's not fun, and it's very frustrating. Um, but you know, he will be around the place, which is good. You know, he'll his his voice and experience. I'm sure will still be there in the dressing room. I suppose the good thing is that um, there are you know there are other players who can who can fit in that position. It right back wasn't a position that you thought Newcastle actually had to fill in January as a priority. Um, but um, but no, he's made such a massive impact since he's been. We just have to keep our fingers crossed and hope he's back soon. Absolutely, potentially huge impact on the season. And let's be honest, we're not out of the woods yet, are we? We've won a few games. There's some points coming in, but. You know, we we there's still a long way to go, and there's a lot of football to be played. So fingers crossed uh, for Kieran Trippier and that injury. Uh, anyway, before we crack on, we'll talk about the good stuff. Uh, subscribe to the Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod. You get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of the Athletics podcasts. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod and sign up now for a third off a subscription. Go and do it now. What are you waiting for? Do it. Go and do it now. Do it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Come on, you Maggies. Another week, another three points. We're through the looking glass here, people. Something happens. 
Jolinton sort of, the ball is crossed in, he's stretching, a wormhole opens into another dimension, and it's defied all physics. He tries to take a shot and it fucking smacks him in the face. You're travelling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. And here is the free kick. Kieran Trippier. Yes! This is a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. It's an offside and the goal doesn't count. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Jolinton Zone. And it's Newcastle United 1, Aston Villa <laughs> God, who do they get to do... Is that what, what? you spent your day doing? Is that what you've been doing today? I'm amazed we could avoid we could avoid Rod Sterling to come in and uh, record for us. That's amazing. Oh my god! He sounds, the, the older he gets, the more he sounds like Morgan Freeman on a day off, doesn't he? Though um, that was quite quite something, George. That was amazing. What do you mean, George? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Coming soon to Disney Plus, <laughs> the Jalinton Zone. Oh my god. <laughs> I say this every week. I used to be a serious journalist, and I, I, it seems like a long time ago. Oh, bless you, man. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Well, ladies and gents, uh, a 1-0 win against Aston Villa. Three in a row, nine points uh, out of nine. It doesn't get much better than this, does it? Let's be honest. We've we've not we've not had this for a long, long time. I'm not really entirely sure how to deal with this kind of happiness, Chris. It just doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't know. I mean, the fact that wait most of the season till December to get one win, then obviously there's another long gap before any more, and then three in three games, and suddenly Newcastle are able to start looking up a little bit. I mean, we talk about Trippy, and that is a huge impact. Newcastle aren't out of the, of the woods yet, but there is now a four point gap between Newcastle and, and, and Watford below. They've got a game in hand. Um, and they have a bit of momentum, which the other teams at the moment are struggling to find. They've had a pos- they've had positive momentum generated both from the wins on the pitch and also the transfer business they've done off it. And, and everyone, as we spoke about last week, seems united at the minute. They seem to be heading in the same direction. And it, there was nothing pretty about the game. It was it was an awful game, certainly for large spells. It was oh, it was bitty. Shit. It was stop start. Um, there was no flow to it. No rhythm. No momentum for either team, but actually, I think there was a lot of game in-game awareness about Newcastle, which we didn't see a few weeks ago. Certainly against Watford, I think since then they've really grown as a side, and you can see the confidence within the belief they're going to win matches. And other than a 15-minute period at the start of the second half, I think that Newcastle did manage the game well, and they basically tried to slow it down and they tried to make it bitty so that Villa couldn't get any momentum whatsoever, and Villa looked uncomfortable in that they didn't seem to know how to react and respond and so in terms of that just the evolution in, in a month since that Watford game to where they are now and the ability to, to actually see out a match is absolutely huge those two performances are worlds apart aren't they I've been saying this for a little while that Newcastle need to be a little bit more clever and a bit more savvy when they're on the pitch and breaking up attacks and bringing down players and you know taking yellow cards for the team and stuff like that we haven't done that we never did that under Steve Bruce and suddenly we look 
like we have a team of spoilers in there. And and George, I mean, you said it was a, it was an awful game of football to watch. If you were a neutral, you'd be turning that off after half an hour. But my God, it's effective. It got us the point. Well, it reminds you that there are different types of win. I mean, we've been so starved of victories that when they come along, it's just like, oh my God, it's a win. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how it happens. And suddenly you have three in a row and it reminds mm. you that there are different ways to win a match. And so last last Wednesday, the win against Everton, we saw, you know, we saw bits and bobs of Newcastle's future there, didn't we? It was like, oh, there were moments of that that were properly exciting. Um, and some good football, and then Bruno comes on at the end, and you can sort of feel the club. And yeah, at the weekend, it was just sort of the opposite. It, but it was a proper ground ground out win, and teams have to do that, and particularly teams that are struggling. And that is the sort of really encouraging thing. That yeah, exactly as Chris said, that they you know they found a way to win in a in a very very ugly manner, but did it. And I you know I didn't. I enjoyed the fact that Newcastle did it, did it. I didn't enjoy it at the time. Um, and I felt very tense. Sort of halfway through halfway through the match, I realised that my jaw was permanent, was like properly clenched and it was not fun. But um, but the end of it was fun. And suddenly Newcastle are a big team. They're a tall team. They're far more physical. And um, yeah, there's that sort of shittiness element to them. Shit housing, a bit of shit housing going on, but that's great. Speaking of that physicality, Chris, Joe Linton in the middle of the park, he covered a lot of ground. He was leading uh, in a lot of the stats for, for um, pressure and for recoveries and, and, and all kinds of stuff. He he just looks like he's been reborn, doesn't he? I mean, we've said this a couple of times now, but I'm so glad for the lad. I'm so happy that he's found his place as a professional footballer and that he can be an effective part of this team. It just it, it looks like it means the world to him as well. It does. I, I'm delighted for him as well. I mean... It's, I still can't quite get my head around the whole thing. I, I spoke to a few people last week and I, I know it's the opinion of some that we should just stop talking about the fact that he, he was signed for £40 million as a centre-forward. But I don't think that he can't because it's like he was signed as a £40 million centre-forward and he's actually a destructive midfielder. That's what he is and he, he's excellent at doing it or he has been over the course of the last few weeks, his, his early introduction in that role. And st- still when it gets into a sort of constructive sense, I don't think... He's found his rhythm yet. I don't think he still lays on the ball maybe as well as he should. He can carry the ball relatively well, but then I still think his decision-making needs a bit of work. But in terms of just being dogged and just getting getting physical in the middle of the pitch, disrupting the opposition, winning the ball, committing fouls as you need to, general sort of shithousery, really. He's, he's become... Being a nuisance, yeah. Yeah, he's become excellent at that. And... Well done to the, to the Eddie Howe and the coaching staff for spotting it. They they didn't they hadn't really seen it before that Norwich game, but they identified that. And what's interesting for me going forward, and George and I had a bit of a conversation about this earlier, is where and when this team evolved. Because Eddie Howe after the game said that basically the last few weeks is not how he wants the team to play long term. This is just this is what they've needed to do for now. But he wants them to become more progressive. Is where Joe Linton fits into that and whether he can play, for for example, I'm sure that how eventually would like to move to a midfield two. Can Joe Linton play in a midfield two? He hasn't yet done that because obviously he's been in a three. But the fact that he's playing so well in that position right now and is he was part of the reason why Villa's midfield didn't function because he was just everywhere. And so same with Joe Willick in a slightly different sense. I still think he's lacking a bit of confidence in front of goal. But he carried the ball well again. Passing was very good. I don't think he, I don't think he mislaid a pass throughout the game. And so, yeah. Absolutely. 100% pass completion, yeah. Absolutely excellent. Mad start. Um, 
George, you, we didn't we didn't see an awful lot of Bruno again. He wasn't there uh, until the last couple of minutes. He came on in that in that extended period of injury time. Where does he fit into this team then? Because obviously they're taking their time to bet him in, and they're going to wait and just give it uh, give it a few games. And if the team are winning, you know the old adage is you don't change a winning formula. But at some point we've got to see him. The lad with his quality he has to start, doesn't he? Yes, I think so. But I mean, it has taken the pressure off the you know the team's recent run of form, and that is that's brilliant. I mean, he he doesn't look massively um, patient when he's walk, warming up on the sidelines, which is sort of quite quite funny. And obviously, the crowd are chanting his name. But that it's you know it's it's the ultimate cliche. That's the kind of problem that the manager wants. That's and um, what a nice problem it is to have instead of. Um, instead of players, you know, looking at the team and thinking of this as a team that just doesn't fit or it's full of different, you know, full of spare parts, no one in the right role, um, and you know, wondering how you make it work, it is working at the moment. So, you know, that's I don't think that's a pressure. It doesn't have to be a pressure at the minute. He's going to get his chance. We'll have to see. I mean, it's funny. I've I've sort of thought that 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 kind of Willock in the last few games has has possibly been the weak link in midfield except that he started slowly in these matches and then grown into it and by the end I don't think that so and you know everybody you know Shelby is undroppable playing his socks off at the minute isn't he yeah yeah and he's playing he's you know he's playing in a way that's sort of smart I mean I know that he he has the propensity to make those sort of tackles you know, we saw one of those. We saw one of those against Everton, and there was another one. Um, and there was another one against Villa. But most of the time, it's disciplined. Jalinton is undroppable in current form, so he just has to. Yeah, he has to bide his time. I mean, he's he offers something very different. But all those players, all those three in midfield, uh, deserve their place at the moment. And so, yeah, what a lovely problem to have. Absolutely. And Chris, what about BDB? Big Dan Byrne. Man of the match in his home debut, literally tearing strips off Tyrone Mings. What a start to his Newcastle United career. And what a brilliant moment for the big lad as well, because it's his home team. It's his boyhood club. He came, he was a season ticket holder with his dad when he was younger. And that's how he started his Newcastle career with a performance like that. I mean, it was everything, wasn't it? Oh, it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, it just just in terms of the tearing the strip off of Tyrone Mings and then and then handing the shirt in the crowd, I didn't actually know until I got home later on. That's what happened because bizarrely, and this is sort of the the uh, I suppose this is the hangover from the Mike Ashley era that in the press box we didn't have replays because it was raining. So because it was raining, we weren't we weren't allowed to have the little TV screens which we, which we usually have. So couldn't see any of the incidents back. Obviously, when there's all the VAR incidents and things, didn't have any of that going on. So didn't see that at the time. But I just saw Byrne walk across and hand something in the crowd. And I saw Mings come across and change his shirt, but I hadn't really put two and two together at that point. But no, but I thought Byrne was excellent. He looked like someone who'd been in that defence for years. Absolutely. It was just cool. And co- there, was yeah. nothing, there was nothing spectacular about what he did. It was cool, composed whenever he got the ball, simple passes, correct decision-making. was always there and available. And... Yeah, it must have been. A, I mean, for, for he, he said after the game, he spoke to the, the club website and he said that it hadn't really sunk in and he didn't think it will sink in for quite a while. And he was looking up trying to see where his family were and he couldn't see them for like a sea of black and white. But for someone like that who's who's gone away from Newcastle, was let go from the academy, but grew up and was had a season ticket in the East Stand, probably didn't think he would ever play for his, his, his boyhood club. Then obviously 
gets to the Premier League with Brighton, becomes a consistent performer for them, was playing the best football of his career, uh, according to those who, or certainly those at Brighton said he was he was in the best form he'd been for them. And then he gets the, the, the move to Newcastle, doesn't make his debut on Tuesday night because he, he has an infected toe, comes into the side, replaces the captain at the heart of defence, and just yeah, absolutely excellent. Just a really, really pleased for him. And he looks, he looks good. I did think it was hilarious that they sent him and Ryan Fraser out together as well. That was uh, that was. Just... <laughs> and they've they've only conceded one goal in the last three league games now, which is which is hugely encouraging. Particularly when we've you know, it's 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 been a defence that shipped ship goals and you know ship chances all season. It's looking much tighter now. And I absolutely agree with Chris. Byrne came in and, you know, to actually watch a defender not panic, you know, how many times we've seen Newcastle players panic or be caught out of position and he was just everywhere he should be, you know, really good, really good. And there's a, there a lovely video, I think I think it might have been on um, on Twitter taken by the, by the club, but he's just walking in as he arrives at the stadium and he's having pictures taken of him by the club photographer and as he walked past, he just goes, I'll read. <laughs> <laughs> he just looked so happy, didn't he? I'm so pleased for the lad because you know that that set him up so well for for what's to come. And whether he stays in the starting eleven for the next few games or not, we don't know. Jamal Lascelles could come back and and take that place away from him again, or you know if there's injuries and what have you. Um, but what a start! I mean, that's the kind of foundation you want to build on your on for your Newcastle career, isn't it? He's just. Brilliant. And the fans seem to have taken him straight away as well. He's one of their own, you know. It's, it's really good stuff. Uh, slightly uh, negative news, unfortunately. Javier Manquillo looked like he picked up quite a nasty injury. Um, it looked like he turned his ankle or his Achilles tendon or something, Chris. Um, I'm not sure. Have we had any word back about what's happening with that one? Because he's obviously going to be important now if Kieran Trippier is uh, going to be out for a while. He's still being assessed. Um, it's suspected ankle ligament damage. Um, but the the initial prognosis seems to not be quite as serious. I think they initially feared, but they're still doing uh, tests to see how long he'll be out for. I'd certainly be surprised if he features at West Ham next weekend. So that gives Newcastle a selection headache, anyhow, a selection headache. They have done a big piece on, on Kieran Trippier and his impact in terms of what he's done so far, but also what now that, that he's injured. And, and if Mankiw isn't fit, then you would assume Emil Kraft is the next person who comes in. He came on for Trippier at the weekend, came at right back. Eventually, though, uh, Howe switched to a back five for part of the game, had Ryan Fraser at right wing back, and actually Kraft looked more comfortable as a right-sided centre-back. Paul Dummett obviously came on for Mankiw at left uh, left wing back, eventually is where he shifted to. But then Matt Target comes back in this weekend. He was obviously unavailable to play against the parents' club, so you would assume he starts at left back. But if if Howe sticks with a with a back four, Jacob Murphy, I don't think he, he can play him there regularly as, as a right back. It didn't really work early in the season. The rest of the Dummett's never really played on that side. Matt Target's never really played on that side. Dan Byrne, I think, has played once for Fulham years ago as a right back, but he again is left footed. So unless Howe decides to shift to a back five, then it's probably going to be Emil Kraft, and you do. You are concerned because I think Emil Kraft is is a downgrade on Javier Manquillo, never mind a downgrade on on uh, Hugh and Trippier. The one little point I, I wanted to make is that although I talked about not really in, enjoying the match uh, at the weekend, I don't think there was a weak link in Newcastle starting eleven. I mean, again, when was the last time you could sort of say that? I don't think there was a poor performance in Newcastle starting eleven. 
And I think quietly, standards have been lifted across the board with those players coming in. Players coming in who are actually suited to the squad and who play in positions that needed to be filled. And again, you're talking about bog standard stuff when it comes to team building, but Newcastle just haven't done that over the years. So you've got people who fitted in, I think, to the mentality of the squad, the spirit that we know is there. Confidence has gone up because there have been good results, but standards have been lifted. That's why you have to make signings. You know, that's why you make signings because it lifts things and we've seen evidence of that, not in a sort of dramatic, life-changing, transformative sort of way, but everybody lifted together. That's been the thing that I've really liked about the last last couple of weeks. Absolutely. There is one thing I want to talk about before we finish up with the game chat, and that is, I can't get this out of my head. It's Ryan Fraser chasing Lucas Dean around the pitch like a, a little Raj Yorkshire Terrier chasing after a postman while the Benny Hill theme tune plays in the background. He never left him alone. I'd imagine Lucas Dean's waking up in a cold sweat now with just the sound of Ryan Fraser breathing behind him, chasing him up that left-hand side of that pitch. He never stopped for the entire game. Jermaine Jenis made a point out of it on uh, on Match of the Day too in his analysis, talking about Fraser's energy and, and just the fact that he put the shits up Lucas Dean every single time he got the ball and I loved it I loved seeing him do that he was so good and the resurgence from him since Eddie Howes came in especially when we talked about the potential that there could be difficult there could be difficulties there because of the way his his career at Bournemouth finished he's just been magnificent hasn't he it's not even resurgence it's emergence I mean I would say I mean because it's been so difficult for him since he's been here and that's what I mean I mean yes so, you know, quietly, everybody has stepped up, but finally we're seeing what Fra- Ryan Fraser is all about. Um, he's obviously enjoying playing Eddie Howe. There was that um, kind of funny interview that he uh, that he gave after the Everton match in which he sort of said, I better be careful what I say here, but I'm enjoying working under the new manager, you know, words to, the, words to that effect. I mean, you don't need to read between the lines too much there. Um, and... You know, it's great. You're seeing that all over the pitch. But yeah, he 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 did not rest. And again, that's the attitude that Newcastle need in their position. Um there was but I again I don't think there was a weak link. And suddenly it's a physical team, there's pace in the team, everybody's fighting together. Just great to see. Absolutely right. We've got a couple of match-based questions from the uh, the real-time section on the Athletic app. Uh, Chris, this one's for you. It's from Marty Q, which sounds like a really bad club singer's name, doesn't it? I'm sorry, Marty. But <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Marty Q. Uh, Chris, I've got a question for you. What in the whole world of fuck is happening? We've got a £40 million Brazilian national team player on the bench that can't get a game. Am I dreaming? Wow, yeah. When you think of it that way, it's no, it's astonishing. I mean, you just if you'd have said at the start of January Newcastle were going to sign uh, Bruno Gomes for forty million pounds, you would have said he's going to immediately go into the team and they're going to need him desperately. And right now, as we were talking about before, it'll be interesting to see what balance it comes in. And he was he was getting visibly frustrated on the touch. He was in both games, Everton game. He kept looking across to the dugout. There was one stage in the in the Everton match where he looked up at the clock, held his arms aloft as if to say, am I going to get on here or not? And uh, and so he's he's desperate to get involved. And it almost felt at one stage, like because obviously the crowd on, on Sunday was sort of singing Bruno's name over and over again. And it almost felt like how turned away from that. I sort of, he sort of... 
like as if you say no I'm, I'm gonna do this my way and it, 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 it's it takes some balls for him to do that as well because of uh, when the Newcastle when the St James's Park crowd are demanding something it's difficult to just ignore that and he, he's doing things his way he doesn't want to change things yet too much he wants to give uh, Bruno time to really understand the pace and physicality of the Premier League before he comes into it but the, that's what's exciting about about this team, as George says. The standards have, have risen across it, but there are still in th- there are new elements to add to it, and he is obviously one of them. He's the unknown quantity now, and still, the, the fact that he hasn't just walked straight into the team says a lot about the other players and how they've responded, which is exactly what you want when players come in. That was the point; it was to raise everyone's level, not just for those players to just be automatic starters. And on the uh, on the subject of Bruno, Liam G had said, John Joe Willock and Big Joe are the absolute heartbeat of everything good about us at the minute. Energy, legs, blocks, aggression, incredible. What happens now with Bruno? And Simon D replies, can he play right back? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to have to. Stick him in. Yeah, someone needs to. Um, yeah, absolutely. Right, uh, look, we've we talked about how mad all of this is, and let's be honest, it definitely is mad. Uh, but here's how it feels. Uh, Wilfred Atchom travelled to Newcastle at the weekend and put in a shift on the food bank before watching the match, and here he is enjoying himself after the final whistle. So, we are all still giddy from the fantastic three points uh, against Villa. Uh, But we're going to look back now at the first 100 days of Eddie Howe's time in charge of Newcastle United. And Chris and George uh, have been working on a piece together for this recently on theathletic.com. Chris, he's really settling in now, isn't he? He's starting to put his stamp on this team. He is. I mean, Friday is press conference pre-Aston Villa. It was still uh, via Zoom, but... For the first time, and this is not to say that that I didn't think he'd he'd he'd, he'd been excellent in terms of handling himself up to this point, but I they always he always felt since he came in from obviously Bournemouth's previous club, there was all the stuff when he first came in as to is Newcastle is he is the Newcastle job too big from can he cope with with a job like this compared to Bournemouth? And on Friday, for the first time, I thought he really sounded comfortable in his own skin. He it, there was nothing specific in the way in what he said, but it was the way that he handled questions, the way that he responded. He just sounded like he he was not quite owning the room, but he knew, he knew what he wanted to say and he knew how he was going to get that point across and he knew how to to handle that. Situation. Situation. And it feels like it's taken him a little bit of time at what obviously, as we, as we mentioned in the piece, Kevin Keegan referred to as it can be like riding the black and white tiger at, uh, at Newcastle United. And yeah, it's his 100 day will be Wednesday. So this will probably be the day uh, the day after this podcast comes out. But George and I did this big piece over the weekend looking at the sort of impact Howe has had because it had reached the stage where there have been 11 Premier League games this season 
uh, without Howe, then 11 with him, obviously the subsequently being a 12th, but sort of looking at the, the changes that he's made, what he has tried to do, because he's spoken about um, this, this changing of the style to try and get Newcastle playing in a different way. And the statistics are starting to trend in that direction, but equally he's had to, to have some short-term gains. He's needed to change things in the short term, and he's, he's, gone, he's gone about changing things at the training ground. Activation is now a big word at the training ground, and, and essentially what that means is that players are going into to the gym before they go out uh, into training to basically get the, their bodies warmed up before they even do a warm-up. There's also, at St. James's Park, um, a, a gym has been installed next to, to the changing room. That was one of the first things that he wanted. Then, when they went away to Saudi Arabia, part of the reason behind that trip, part of the reason how wanted them to go away f- for a trip was that Newcastle don't have a sort of recreation room where the players can spend time and really bond and get to know each other better. And how wanted to be able to build that unity. So he, he wanted to take them away. It wasn't just about the train, although obviously that was key. He also wants to foster and garner that spirit, which you've seen in the course of the last few matches. And so there's been there've been a heck of a lot of changes. We go into them in detail in the piece, but it's it, it's taken him time he didn't get the new manager bounce when he first came in so he had to wait a little bit of time for his first win then he's had to wait significantly longer for the second but the third and fourth have come a lot quicker and you are starting to see a fitter Newcastle uh, a different Newcastle in the way that they play the way that they press the intensity that they show and that's all down to, to what Howe and his coaching staff have attempted to install at the club. And, and George, as far as the owners go, I mean they they got their man in the uh, in the rec- recruitment process and brought in Eddie Howe. How are they feeling about his start uh, as as manager of the club? Are they happy with him? Yes, very very happy. And you know, they again in this piece that Chris and I did, um, you know, we spoke to people right at the top of the club, and the sense is that they see him as someone that they could build, you know, a long term vision of the club around now you know the problem that that's great but the problem with that of course is that Newcastle have to get results in the short term and now they've started doing that so there's been you know I think there's been a lot of pressure on Eddie Howe um a to you know to for him to kind of come in and get to grips with the club which can be very wild and untamable at times it can be for anybody um secondly coming in at a time when there's no sort of executive structure at the club and had to work incredibly hard in January, not only you know with the team, but effectively operating as a sort of director of football. Worked very, very closely with uh, Amanda Staveley and Mirdad Gudusi, and you know it's it's been a it's been a proper struggle. One of the nice things that that we heard whilst 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 doing this piece was that. That the teams are working together within the club. So, in other words, Howe and his backroom staff are working very closely with the ownership team. Now, when we think about the club and the last decade and more, it's been the you know the club has been reduced to separate cliques almost. You know, it's been Mike Ashley and um, Lee Charnley. It's been whoever the manager is. It's been the fans in another corner players at war with everybody and people are working together we, we we're getting that feeling in the stadium on a match day I still have to pinch myself about that but within the club they're working together and that is just so good to hear but anyway yes there's been a very close relationship so far a very close working relationship having spent all that money in January though and really listening to what Eddie Howe wanted the hat to be buy-in there had to be buying for Eddie Howe with his players as well too, but 
you know, thankfully they've got that. So, you know, we're still at the start of something. Um, he's not long into the job, but as as Chris said, you know, getting results is the most important thing. That's how managers impose themselves. And um, yeah, very, very, very good. Very good so far. Absolutely. I mean, from a fan's point of view, looking at Eddie Howe and, and how he carries himself, the way he is in press conferences and how he talks uh, before and after games and stuff like that, it just feels like a world of difference compared to what we've been used to in, in recent times. He's, I've really, really taken to him. I think he's, he's he seems like a very honest and very serious uh, guy. Uh, and, and he knows that there's a job to be done here. You know, he's, he's not here to... To, uh, to cause problems. He doesn't seem to have any kind of a chip on his shoulder about anything. He's here to just sort of get on with the job in hand. And if he has to upset people, then he has to upset people. If he needs to drop a player, he needs to drop a player. He seems like a man who's very sure in himself. Uh, and I really appreciate that as a fan. You know, I really appreciate a manager who who is honest and and, and can, can put his ideas across. And one of the things I keep hearing from different people, and I've heard this from a few people who've spoken to him and, and from other journalists and stuff is that as far as he's a really good communicator, Eddie Howe, the way he puts his ideas across and the way he talks to people. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for a, for a Premier League manager to be. Uh, and, I, and I just hope he continues the way he's been. I think he's, he's, it's been a great start for him. And obviously three wins out of three are going to help massively. That is a big, a big, big boost. But I think he's doing a great job. Um, Chris, we were told, we were told that it couldn't be done. Uh, and Eddie Howe seems to get Newcastle playing with a back four at the minute. Um, what's going on? I mean, you know, first of all, Joe Linton's a midfielder and now we've got a back four. What the what the hell happened there? Yeah, I mean, obviously that under the, the previous head coach, one of the, the big debates all throughout was that he'd said for a long while that he wanted to play with a back four and he, he continuously flitted between systems and would regularly say that the defenders were suited to playing in a certain way. For his first match, Eddie Howe stuck with with a back three against Brentford. It was three all, and then from then on, he, he's been a back fa- a back four almost exclusively. Obviously, he changed to a five during the game at the weekend, and he wants to be able to do that. But he wants to play with a back four largely. And he, he played uh, a sort of four four one one for most of his first few games. Then Newcastle got hammered at Leicester. And since then, he switched to this 4-3-3, which has really been to try and get some control in midfield, which they are getting at the moment. But it's it'll be interesting, as I say, to see how he evolves the side because he accepts of his own accord. He says he wants them to play more progressive football. He wants them to be more front foot. And, and over time, he wants to develop this further. He's, spe- he's saying that after wins as well. He's not coming out and saying, that was wonderful. He's basically saying, we got a win, which is what we needed to do. But I want to improve in these elements in these departments going forward. And what we've seen... Over the course of the last few months, or which players, how, what, what, how wants in terms of characteristics from players. So certain ones haven't managed to make it even into the twenty-five man squad. Obviously, Jamal Lewis has been left out somewhat controversially, but how wanted something specific from a left back, which is why I brought in Matt Target. Isaac Hayden is injured, but equally wasn't playing that much before he was left out of of the squad. And Joe Linton has subsequently turned into a midfielder. Uh, Fabian Cher has come back into the side and is now playing regularly, whereas he wasn't towards the end of Steve Bruce's tenure. Joe Linton is playing a lot more than he was. John Joe Shelby has an adapted role, but has become crucial to the way that Howe wants to play. Ryan Fraser, obviously, as, as we discussed earlier, is playing a lot, whereas the likes of Miguel Almiron have barely been seen um, in terms of what Howe wants. He wants technical players. He wants physicality. He wants the ability for players to, to, to carry out his intense pressing 
And over time, I think some of these players will start to be moved out of the side. I think there is a sort of short-term element to the way that he's playing at the moment. But he's managed to get what at the moment is a winning formula, and that's precisely what he needed. And in a relegation battle, you've just got to find results anyway, anyhow, and he's found a way right now. He's He's got a very, very strong sense of what he wants, and he's got the detail to back it up. And I think that's the sort of... You know, I think that's one of the crucial things as well. Um, one of the people at the top of the club said to us that he's borderline obsessed, and um, you know, hard work should be the minimum requirement. But he puts that in, and um, you know, Chris Chris wrote in this piece about the fact he has five hundred different training sessions that are all sort of logged online, so there's no repetition at the training ground. But he knows what he wants, and he backs his own methods. And again, it's you know, I don't want to have to hark back to, to the past and stuff, but there is a contrast there. It felt like Newcastle were being buffeted between systems and formations, that they were always being reactive, they were always responding to something. And now, finally, albeit it's early days, and albeit the metrics are only, you know, they're a little bit better. It's not, again, it's not transformative, but you can see that Newcastle are moving towards something. And it's not that you know it's not it's it's not gung ho attack that's not what it is but they're moving towards something and he's sticking to what he believes in and newcastle have been crying out for a system um and an identity of some sort how many times week after week were we saying that newcastle felt like an unsolvable problem and suddenly you've got somebody who's come in albeit you know backed in the transfer market and backed in the market um in the sense that he's been allowed to bring in people in the positions he needed, which again hasn't hasn't happened, but it's a joined up, feels like a joined up football club again, and it's beginning to look like a joined up team. Absolutely. Well, there you go. If you want to uh, check out George and Chris's piece on the first hundred days of Eddie Howe, you can do that at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And if you're not a subscriber, uh, there is a 33% discount on at the moment. So get yourself stuck into that and get a third off a full subscription to The Athletic. There we go. Right then, a couple of questions just before we finish up, chaps. Uh, Matt D has asked, you're going to run out of issues to iron out on the podcast at this rate. A big problem uh, with West Ham coming up is going to be Declan Rice. Do we have enough in midfield to take him on? Could this be the game that Chris Wood comes into his own? Chris, what do we reckon? Declan Rice is a hell of a footballer and he's having a great season. Is there enough in that midfield to, to counter him? Well, it, it's going to be another tough challenge for Newcastle. And in they, the last three games, they've faced teams in the bottom half of the table, all offering different challenges. But now that they actually face a side who are trying to still qualify for Europe, um, Rice, I think, is interesting because I think Newcastle, I think how will fancy that balance of the midfield he's got at the moment. As I said, I don't see. Bruno coming in the side next weekend. Yeah, I, I still don't think if if Howe was only willing to give him sort of the last ten minutes last weekend, I'd be very surprised to see him start at the London Stadium unless there is a sort of physical issue with one of the others. But I think that Newcastle again will look to disrupt and then count, counter when they can through the likes of Ansat Maximan and Ryan Fraser. As for Chris Wood. I do think his all-round game, he's still contributing a lot. He's, he's winning a lot in the air. He is bringing his teammates into play. But you can just see in front of goal, he, he, his, his confidence is just shot at the moment. I mean, he picked up the penalty, which was then obviously overturned and turned into a free kick. But he was he was, he was was taking that spot kick. And I have to be honest, there was the part of me that was looking at thinking, 
I'm not overly convinced here because he just doesn't look like a striker who's 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 full of confidence at the moment. He doesn't. And there was also that moment where Ryan Fraser made a wonderful overlap and run beyond him, and he just took an awful shot from about thirty yards, which went nowhere oh, near the goal. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's he, a bit of desperation, that wasn't it? But, it was a bit but Chris, yeah, he did. He, I think nobody made more sort of headed interventions in the Premier. League. Oh yeah, League it's all round game. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I I do know what you're saying. Um, but he's also absolutely full of running as well, and that's been very important. Um, certainly, in the last two games that you know, because I've seen those live. I mean, it's been incredibly important. I would love for him to get a goal, but he's brought a different uh, dimension, I think, to Newcastle's uh, attack, and he he has to be looked after. You know, he gives he gives the opposition something else to think about, and um, you know, if, if you've got some Maxima higher up the pitch and then you've got Chris Wood those those are two very different kind of weapons in your armory but um but it's added to it he has to you know Newcastle look a threat in the air and also at set pieces again so i mean you know Kieran Trippier coming out of the game um isn't isn't great because of that but they they look a different sort of threat and yeah i'd love Chris Wood to get a goal but i think he has he's added to the team you can see that little partnership with Ryan Fraser. You can just see the bare roots of that starting to peep through, can't you? And they are there. He is getting in the positions. Fraser's getting the ball to him, but it's just not quite came off yet. And you would like to think with a little bit of training and, and more time playing together that that partnership could turn into a decent combination and Fraser will be able to pick him out and Chris Wood will be able to put the ball in the net. That's what we're all hoping for. Uh, Chris, Jamie O has asked, uh, what's this Lucas DeBall kid like? And also he's asked, how many holidays does Jason Tindall have? <laughs> <laughs> Probably based on the fact that he is the colour of rich mahogany. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I think that they've had to install sort of tanning beds just around the training ground. I think that's been the major upgrade since uh, since Jason Tindall's arrived. Um, but it, it, it's varnished. <laughs> Looks like somebody's varnished him. I mean, t- Tindall is hilarious to watch during the game, mind. He's 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 a one of those he's a one of those assistants who, if you're the fan of any other club, you'd absolutely hate because he just spends the entire game just shouting at the fourth official. And there was actually one moment where they were going to make they were. Aston Villa were making a change and he sort of walked across as if he was going to speak to the, the fourth official and then he just turned around and walked back to Eddie Howe and he said, he's moving Ramsey at number 10. <laughs> and so he'd just be listening in to whatever the, the Villa coaches were talking about and just feeding that information just back. going in earwigging. Fantastic. In terms of Lucas Ball, obviously this is this is because he was on Newcastle's bench at the weekend, which came as a bit of a surprise to me. He has been training with the, the first team as quite a few in the 23s have been and he is seen as someone who has a lot of potential within the club. Uh, he's 19, he's, he's an attacking midfielder, and obviously they've let out Joe White and, and Elliot Anderson go out on loan, so they're a bit short in that department. But the primary reason why he was on the bench was that Newcastle didn't actually have enough senior players to fill the bench. They had five absentees, plus then the third goalkeeper and Mark Gillespie. So the primary reason why, he, 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 I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, he's deserved to get that because he's obviously impressed Eddie Howe during training sessions, but it's not as if he's suddenly seen as being immediately first-team ready. The midfielders that were on the bench are almost certainly the ones who would likely have come into the side, the senior ones. You had Bruno obviously came on. He would be the next person into the side. Sean Longstaff, who Eddie Howe himself has said has been unlucky not to be in the team. You've then got Miguel Almiron as a sort of more attacking midfielder element there. So it's not as if he's suddenly pushing to, to immediately get into that, that first team, but he is someone who, who is highly rated within the club. 
Good stuff. Uh, Victor B replied on the same the same question from Jamie O. We were wondering what his first name was when we saw him on the subs bench, and we all settled on Heed. Heed the ball. <laughs> we'll do the we'll do the comedy. We'll do the comedy, Victor. Yeah, yeah. Leave the jokes to us, Victor. All right. Well then, chaps. That's about it. Uh, Another week down, another three points in the bag. And also, we have to say, it's Valentine's Day, by the way, and I didn't tell you either of you that I love you earlier on, and I do, obviously. Uh, just need to get that out there. But also, happy birthday to Kevin Keegan. His birthday today. And also, uh, one of our uh, co-owners, Dad Gadusi as well. His birthday today, Chris. Well, I assume that, uh, that 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 he's having a candlelit dinner right now with Kevin Keegan, presumably, if, uh, if, <laughs> yeah. if that would be... <laughs> Isn't that what we all want to do on Valentine's Day? Well, quite, yeah. yeah. Quite. You can tell him now if you're watching it. Honestly, I will love it. Love it. And as it is uh, as it is Valentine's Day as well, it is the time that you get to tell the people who are most important to you that, that you love them. Uh, so just to get it out there, Kevin Keegan, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we could get that in. Anyway, uh, yes, and one more thing before we go. Uh, we had a bit of uh, news this week, George, about Alan Shearer's statue that they're, that they're going to move into club property. Is that right, that the planning permission's been granted for that? Uh, there's a planning permission application is there is there now around the ground, and that's been reported. Yeah, we, we, we wrote, in fact, when we were writing about the 100 days following the takeover, that that was now very close and that um, the number nine bar is going to go back to its previous name of Shearer's. So, yes, on the same subject of people that we love, um, that's very nice news. It's kind of, you know, it's low-hanging fruit for the for the new owners, but it's it's great that they're doing it. And, yeah, in a, in a little while, we'll have to see how long it takes, but in a little while, um, Alan's statue will be just down from, from Sir Bobby's and... You know, it's symbolic, isn't it? It's it's very symbolic. And, Can we ask um, them to put a little plaque on the front of that statue which just says Alan from work in capital letters, please? Certainly ask. <laughs> um, or just call Shearer's the Alan from work arms or something like that. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so very encouraging. But just on that, in that, in that, you know, that, that feeling of everybody being in it together again, that's just very symbolic, isn't it? Lovely stuff. Right then, chaps, that's it. All done for another week. Uh, don't forget, you lot out there, that 33% discount is back and you can get a third off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right, thanks, George. Thank you, Chris. Happy Valentine's Day to you both. And I uh, hope you're all well out there. Look after yourselves. We shall speak to you next week. Take care. Cheerio. Athletic.